This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. This week, I will not be giving you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a full field. Sorry. Not doing it. Why? Because based on popular demand, I feel like it is my duty to answer the question how I would attack the boat challenge in Physical 100. When I'm done with that, then I will get into a recap of what happened at this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. But before we get to this weekend's Tag Team Challenge, I'm going to tell you how I would have attacked the Physical 100's Boat Challenge. Now, what is the Physical 100? For those of you that don't know, it's a TV show on Netflix. Imagine Squid Games meets MTV's The Challenge. You got 100 people, physically superior athletes, all competing to see who is the most physical of all of them. They compete in teams. They compete head-to-head. People get eliminated. No spoiler alerts here. I'm not going to tell you who wins or loses. I'm just going to talk about one of the challenges in, in the show called the Boat Challenge. Now, what is the Boat Challenge? The Boat Challenge is these people have to they break up into teams, and they have to move this boat from point A to point B. Whoever does it the fastest wins. Simple, right? Well, not really. So they put these people in a, I guess it's a fake beach scenario. I, I can't even say what it is. It's fake. But there's sand in the middle of this giant room. There's sand on the floor. Imagine sand on a beach. Laying in that sand are barrels and the equivalent of a utility or telephone poles, right? These wooden poles. These, they're cylindrical. They're poles. They're, they're wood, maybe about a foot in diameter. Then... On one end of this room is this giant boat. That boat is sitting on the equivalent of a wooden dock. And then on the other end of this room, across from the sand, there's another plank. It's at an incline, and they have to take that boat from where it starts, drag it across or push it across the entire room, move it up that plank, and attach a rope from the end of that, or the the bow of that boat, the front of that boat, to some sort of a a post, I don't know what the technical word is, but they have to wrap that rope around that post. And they have to figure out how to get it from point A to point B. Now the rules of the challenge are this. Before you touch that boat, before you move it, you have to take these barrels that are into the gr- they're in the ground and you got to put them inside the boat. Then when it's moved, you got to move that boat from point A to point B. And again, they've given you these these rollers, I don't know a a better word to call it, but these poles to help you move it from point A to point B. So, who cares, right? Why would we even talk about this? Well, to advanced training, this type of challenge is near and dear to our hearts because we've talked before about the physics of what we do. 
and the physics of the tough man. There's a, a real good episode that we made on the physics of the tough man. Because people don't understand why one day pushing a prowler is easy, and the next day pushing the prowler is next to impossible. We figured it out over time. We've learned the physics of the tough man. We learned the physics of pushing a prowler or pulling a sled. But this directly or indirectly or whatever you want to say, to me, it directly relates to what's going on here. That's what I'll say. Maybe it's not the same exact movements, but man, they're similar. So let's get through some basics before we get into how I would attack the challenge. And I'm going to remind people, I am not a physicist by any stretch of the imagination. My first time taking physics was in college. My first score on my first physics test in Columbia University was a 27 out of 100. So I am not good at physics. <laughs> Granted, in my third semester of physics, I did get a 4.0, but it took me a lot of tutoring, a lot of time, and that was quantum physics. That wasn't uh, this type of physics. Anyway, so I might be saying some stuff that's wrong. Bear with me. I am not a physicist. I am an engineer. Uh, I went to school for chemical engineering, but I'm not the greatest at this stuff. So bear with me. But there's some things that you need to remember. All right? Thing number one. Force. That's a key word. Force equals mass times acceleration. We're going to talk about force a lot in this conversation. The other thing that you need to remember is that weight equals mass times gravity. So... While I'm trying to move this boat, I have to put force on the boat to move it. But while I'm trying to move it left to right, there's also this weight pushing down on the boat. So there's two types of things going on. The other thing you need to keep in the back of your head is uh, one of Newton's laws, and I should probably know this. Maybe it's his second law. I don't know. But for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I'll say that one again. For every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And we've talked about this a lot in advanced trading. So if I'm going to squat weight up, I want to push my feet through the ground. If I'm going to run, I want to drive my feet into the ground. So as I'm pushing on the ground, the ground's pushing back on me, and that's what's propelling me forward. If I'm in a deadlift, I don't want to pick up the bar with my arms. I want to push my feet through the ground. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And that's important in this boat challenge. It's really important in this boat challenge. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about that we will mention quite a few times is friction. So friction, that's the force that stops two ob objects from sliding together. And there are these coefficients of friction. There's a static coefficient of friction and a kinetic coefficient of friction. So the static coefficient of friction is uh, the number when something's not moving at all. Imagine you haven't pushed the prowler. It's just sitting there. That's the static coefficient of friction. And then as I'm pushing it, it gets this kinetic coefficient of friction because it's moving. And that kinetic coefficient of friction is less than the static coefficient of friction. Meaning that it's easier to keep something moving than it is to start getting something to move. It's the same thing in life. Uh, it's hard to gain momentum. It's easier to keep it than to gain it. So these are the only, this is the only science lesson or the physics lesson I'll give you, but it's going to relate to what's going on. So again, we have force equals mass times acceleration. We have weight equals mass times gravity. We know that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And we know that there are two types, or there's two coefficients of friction that are important. The static coefficient of friction and the kinetic coefficient of friction. Okay. Gave you the, the basis for the rest of this conversation. So let's go back through the rule. We're going to break this down piece by piece and the rules of this uh, assignment that, that they had. 
So the side part one was they had to load the boat. They had to dig up these barrels and load it onto the boat. So the thing, the first thing that I would recommend, the first thing that I would recommend is that you load the weight on the boat evenly. Again, I'm going to try and do this without spoiling what happens on the show. But watch, there's three teams that go. Some of them put most of the weight on one side. But I would say to load out the weight evenly on that boat. For the purpose of, if you don't, you might not push the boat straight. And we all know this, that time doesn't care if you go left or right or up or down. It only cares if you go from point A to point B. So if you're not pushing the boat straight, you are wasting time. And remember, this is a timed event. And everything I'm talking about here, you can relate to anything else you're doing. Even if you're pushing a prowler or pulling a sled or whatever or running a sprint, if you're not going straight, you're wasting time. The second thing I would say is when you, after you've loaded, after they load all these barrels onto the boat, now they're allowed to move the boat, I would also say I would load my people who are pushing or pulling the boat evenly. Meaning, number of people, strength of people, force they're going to exert should be even on both sides. So if you got one person who can exert twice the amount of load as two people, put that one person on the right and those other two people on the left. That's, that's my point. So load the boat evenly and then put the, the people who are putting load on the boat evenly on either side of that boat. Okay, so now we've got the boat loaded, we have the weight on it even, we have our people evenly distributed on either side of the boat. Now, the boat, now we got to move this boat, right? The boat, remember, is sitting on a dock. This boat needs to move. So, you have a couple of options here. The boat has these, I guess you would consider them the equivalent of oars. They're oars sticking out of the boat. They're essentially, the point of these things is so that you can push it or pull it off the dock. And in the front of the boat, there's a rope, which gives you the other option of standing in front of the boat and pulling the boat with you. So I want to get this thing off the dock. Now, a few of these teams, they decided to hit it the way uh, you would a prowler. They went and they went, they get, they're going to kind of push this thing off the dock, and they realize it's not moving anywhere. So they try to push it, and it can't go anywhere. So the question I've been getting asked was, should they have tried to push it? Or should they have tried to pull it? Or what one group did, again, I'm really not giving too many spoilers out here, is that they pushed it and they lifted it off the ground simultaneously. Now, why is this conversation important? Well, remember, your force, you're trying to push or pull that boat laterally. So you have force equals mass times acceleration. And you have this weight. Now you've loaded all these heavy barrels. These barrels were weighted. You had this heavy weight pulling down pushing down on top of the boat. So you have weight going down, and you have force you're trying to push left to right, so you're trying to overcome all this, not to mention the friction of this bottom of this boat against this flat, dry dock. All right, so here, well, say, Coach, what would you do? Would you push or would you pull? Well, here's a little, little known fact that most people don't know. But if you push on something, not only are you providing a horizontal force, you're actually also including a downward force on it. You may not realize it, but you are. So as I push, I'm including a horizontal force, and I'm putting a downward force, which is now increasing the force that I need to use. Remember, I already have weight pushing down on this thing, and now i got to have this extra weight. When I pull something, when I pull it, I am actually... 
pulling it off the ground a little bit or and exerting a force up. So it's actually, in theory, easier to pull it than to push it. And I'm saying in theory because there's a critical part here of for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So you need footing, right? So you need to be able to put your foot somewhere in order to drive it against something. There's a saying, like, you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe, because a canoe, you're in a canoe, it's on water, you shoot the cannon, there's nothing for it to balance itself against. So I need some place to put my feet. So what I would say, the way I would have effectively gotten this thing off the dock, get it off the dock, you're trying to get it off the dock and onto the sand, is I would have pulled and lifted at the same time. I would have pulled and lifted it up at the same time to get it off the dock. That's what I would have done. I would not have tried to push it from behind. Again, I would have stood in front of the boat and pulled it. And while you're pulling it, try and lift it up a little bit to reduce that friction off the ground, right? I'm trying to reduce, reduce the friction off the ground. Pull and lift, pull and lift. Now, one thing these teams did that was smart was that they, in sequence, pulled together or pushed together. And this is how I used to carry water heaters or furnaces with uh, my dad and the people that work with me up and down steps. And it was always one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. It was legitimate teamwork of getting this thing, you know, a, a water heater you're taking out of a house. People don't realize this. It's heavy. Not because it's a water heater, because it's loaded with the remnants of the water. Even if you drain it, it's wet. It's, it, it, it's, it's loaded with that wet sog and that crap. So you really need to, and you don't want to jam somebody's wall up or ruin their floor. So it's got to be great choreogra choreography <laughs> or coordinated effort to get this thing up and down. Anyway, this group, all these groups at a certain point did a great job of pushing or pulling together. But for me, to get it off the dock, I would have lifted it and pulled it, lifted it and pulled it, lifted it and pulled it as long as I can get traction on my feet. So maybe you have some people on the rope in front of the boat, and then maybe you have some people holding onto those oars and pulling it backwards, but they have to be able to plant their feet in the ground. Now, the person at the front of the boat with the rope, they're in a tough spot because they're standing in sand. So remember, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. As I step into the ground, my foot sinks into the sand, which makes it hard to do something like run in the sand. Uh, it's, you know... It, it, that that's why people do run the sand to try and make it a little harder on themselves, but this is not the point of this game. The point of this game is to get from point A to point B. So, taking one step back, the other thing, and we talked about this before, is they provided you with rollers, right? Now, the point of this roller, this telephone pole that's out there, it's to reduce friction. That's the point. Because if you got this thing on the sand and you didn't have a roller, it's over, Johnny. That thing would just sink and you're doomed, right? You never get it off there, ever. Like, you thought the dock was tough, you never get it off. So, people, what they did was, they took these rollers, I think there was like five or six of them, and they laid them out in front of the dock, and then after you pull the boat off the dock onto the roller, now you would use the roller, I, I don't want to say it's like a wheel, but it's kind of like a wheel. It's kind of like a conveyor belt, right? You have this thing, and you roll it, and then you have this boat, and you're rolling it over these rollers. So one of the things that I think I would have done, now people were really in this big rush to get those rollers over there, picking out and carrying them. I might have taken the roller and rolled it in front of the, the, the my little, I'll call it my jetway, right? My little, my little jetway that I'm going to, the path that I'm going to take, the roadway that I'm going to pull this boat. I would have rolled it on the ground and maybe tried to firm up the ground that we were going to move this boat on. 
this way. Again, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So that's what I, I would have done. I don't know if I would have been too exhausting. I don't know how well it worked. There's a lot of editing going on. I don't know the actual texture of the ground, but that's what I probably would have experimented with is roll that roller there, like kind of like I'm rolling out pizza dough. Get the ground nice and hard, nice and flat, and maybe that gives us a fighting chance to reduce uh, some of that friction and give us some more traction. So that's one of the things I would have done. The second thing, those rollers, put them even, like put them in a straight line. Because if you're moving this boat along the top of those rollers and it falls off the roller, that's massive waste. We have to stop, that's big waste. And stopping is a problem. Because remember what I said before, the coefficient of friction, sorry, the static coefficient of friction is higher than the kinetic coefficient of friction. So if you stop, you got to start all over again. You have to overcome that static friction. When you get that kinetic friction, you want to maximize that. So keep those things straight so you can keep moving. The other thing I would do is I would try to space out those rollers as far as possible so that I don't keep running out of rollers. So it's not like the roller is a tire and it keeps rolling with you. At a certain part, the ro the, your boat is moving faster than the roller and you lose a roller. So like, let's say there was five rollers. Uh, you, that last roller, it comes out. You want to take that last roller out of the back of the boat and run it up to the front of the boat, which leads me to my next point. I would have people designated to do just that. I would have people designated to be just move, transferring the rollers from the back to the front, to the back to the front, to the back to the front. Why? Because you want to keep this thing moving as much as possible. And with that... How would I move this boat once we were actually on the sand? So to get it off the dock, I would pull a lift. When we were on the sand, I would change my strategy for this reason. I would change my strategy for this reason. What I would do is I would have one to two people pulling the boat from the front with the rope. I would have two people responsible to move the roller from the front to the back. And then I would have everybody else pushing. Now, why would I do that? Coach, you just said it's easier or better to pull than to push because it's uh, picking stuff up off the ground and you don't have this force being pushed to the ground. But here's my reason. One, once it's moving, it's easier to keep it moving because you have kinetic energy. So once this thing's on the roller on the sand, now I can move it and I can push it. And two, I need room. We need room. Let me, just say, let me go back. I mean, my two is... If it is moving, I can keep moving a lot more easily, pushing it forward than pulling it backwards. Because now if I'm pushing it forward, I can see where I'm going. I can step over the roller. It's just much easier than if I'm going backwards. And then three, and this might be the most important reason, is that it, if you did this, if you had two people in the front and everybody else pushing, I believe that you could leave room for the people to keep putting rollers in so you don't have to stop. The point is don't stop. Remember, the coefficient of friction... It's the static coefficient of friction is much higher or higher than the, co the kinetic coefficient of friction. So you want to keep this thing moving and moving and moving and moving, and you don't want it to stop. So put the, the poles in a straight line, even out your load. This way they don't fall off, at, uh, off the poles, and you get this thing moving and keep it moving and keep it moving and keep it moving. Now, when people got this thing moving, life looked pretty good, but then they get to this other dock. This other dock that's at an incline. <laughs> It's awful, right? They get to this dock and they just stop. So what would I have done, right? And they get on the dock and now here we go again. Is it better to pull? Is it better to push? What do we do? So here's what I would have done. I would have tried to, and this is all in hindsight, by the way, when you have pressure on you, 
Who knows? Like, you're not thinking clearly. I would have tried to take in those poles that we were rolling this thing across the sand with. And as we got closer to the other dock, which was on an incline, I would have tried to put those poles on the incline. Just sat them up. Now, if you're thinking about it, it was like at a, I don't know, a 30-degree incline facing up. At the bottom of the incline, it looked like what I would call a tow board. I don't know. I don't have enough information. But if you put that pole there, would it have he- would the tow board have held the pole? If that's the case, I would stack all the poles on top of each other and then try to use those as rollers to get this thing up the dock. That's what I would have tried. Now, I don't know if that would have worked. I don't know if the tow board's big enough and all those things would have just spilled out and killed somebody as they were trying to pull it up. I don't know. But that's what I would have tried to do. Again, this is in hindsight. So, let's just say that that didn't work. Or it did work. Say it did work. At the end of that dock, there's a pulley. There's a rope with a pulley on it. You take one end of that rope, you attach it to the front of your boat. There's a clip, you put it there. And on the other end of that rope, you you can pull on that that rope and pull it through the pulley. Now, people will say, Coach, what the hell is the point of a pulley? Well, if you have one pulley, it doesn't really change the force of what you're trying to move. If you have two pulleys, it actually cuts the force in half. So let's just say say that you needed to... uh, move 100 pounds. If you have two pulleys, it makes it feel like 50. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the case. But if you have one pulley, it really doesn't do that. So coach, what's the point of the pulley? Well, the point of the pulley is that it allows you to gain leverage by pulling from a different direction. So if if you haven't watched the show, the boat is going up. It's going up this ramp. But if the pulley is at the top of the ramp, what this allows you to do is grab the other end of that rope, which is around the pulley, and stand at the bottom of the ramp and pull down. So now I'm pulling in the exact opposite the direction that the boat is going. And it's more mechanical, it's a mechanical advantage for you to actually pull down a hill and drive your feet into that dock and pull down a hill as opposed to standing in front of the boat and trying to pull it up a hill, right? My back's lurched over. Uh, It's just not as good as being able to stand down this incline also and people were smart they put their foot on the pole where the pulley was and they were trying to kick off the front of that pole and remember for every action is an equal and opposite reaction so i'm pushing off the pole boom now i can pull myself away and pull that rope with me down that hill so that was the point of that pulley so what i would have done is i would have had half of my team on that rope on the back end of that pulley pulling down the hill and then I would have the other half of my team lifting and pulling up the remainder of that, or well, the remainder of my people lifting and pulling that boat up that de- incline. Again, I wouldn't push at this point. Now we're stuck. We're basically in this coefficient of uh, the static coefficient of friction. I would just have them pull back, pull it up, and drag it up the top of the hill or that incline while everybody else is on the rope pulling down on that pulley. And one thing that was interesting, you know, you got to make that rope nice and tight. For some people, the rope was falling out. You want to maybe, maybe have one person dedicated to make sure that the slack is out of that rope. Make sure the slack is out of that rope so that you don't lose that tension in that rope. And the last thing I'll say, and this was big, this happened to one team. I won't say which team, not a spoiler alert, is keep everything straight. That's why it's important to load it right. Because if you got this rope on the front of your boat... And if the front of your boat is facing left and that pole that you got to wrap that boat around is to the right, you've automatically lost yardage. 
You lost yardage because now it's not a straight line, and now you got to move this thing even further to hit that point. So get it to that, that end point as straight as possible. So this is my idea. You don't have to like it. I don't even know if it's physically right, but to me it makes sense. Again, I got a 27. That's right. I got a 27 on my first physics test. Uh, I believe it was a C-. And I believe I also got a 24 on my second physics test, and that was an A because uh, everybody else got a 24 out of 100. That's right, 24 out of 100. So thank God for the curve. All right, people. That is my discussion of what hap- how, how I would handle the physical 100 bow challenge. Now, whew, without further ado, I'm going to get into what happened at this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. I don't know. I don't know if physics lines up or not as much, but <laughs> it's all the same stuff. It's, it's all in how you look at it. It's all about sm- working smarter, not harder. And it's all about, I, I do believe it's about using leverage to maximize the force that you want to apply. And using that leverage, using that technique will make you better at everything you're going to do. The best powerlifters in the world aren't always the strongest guys in the world. The best strongmen in the world aren't always the most strong people in the world. All these people have technique. They maximize leverage. And leverage, to me, it's all part of physics. Yeah, I got a 27 in, physics, in my first physics test, but whatever. Anyway, here we go. We're going to get into this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. So this weekend's Tag Team Challenge, we had Bear Island go against the newly named the Flayed Men. These are the Boltons. Now, normally I believe they're they're flaying other people, but this group is uh, self-deprecating. They're saying that they are the Flayed Men, and maybe this is right because every week they are completely and totally undermanned. But this week wasn't so bad. We had uh, six people for Bear Island, four people for the Flayed Men, and this was the challenge. It was called tag. Not in the sense of the word tag that you play with your friends, but tag where you had to tag your tag team partner before they can do a part of this event. It was an eight-legged event with four separate events. Each event happened two times in a row. So what would happen? The first event was to sprint 20 yards. Everything was 20 yards. The first person gets up, they sprint, they tag their partner, they sprint back. The next they, and when they sprint back, they tag somebody else. That person pushes a prowler with 110 pounds on it. They drive. They go 20 yards. They drive that thing 20 yards. They tag somebody else, and that person pushes it back 20 yards. When they're done, they tag somebody else. That person will do a slider 20 yards. They'll tag somebody else. They'll do a slider. And then the last segment will be a, another sprint followed by a sprint. So it was sprint, sprint, prowler, prowler, slider, slider, sprint, sprint. Eight lengths of the events, four little mini events inside of it. Everything requires a tag. If you have no team at eight people, so teams had to designate who was going twice. Teams had to designate who was going on what event. So the the flayed men, I think it's the flayed men. They they had the belt. So Cortese won the belt last week with Chalasi in his heroic effort. Uh, we say to Cortese, who do you want to go first? He picks Bear Island. So Bear Island goes first. And they do a pretty good job of strategizing with their transitions and, and who's going to tag who and how they're going to do everything. And uh, they get 51 seconds flat. 51 seconds flat. But there was a little bit of controversy. Uh, Joe Derrida knocked over a cone. He might have a little went too far over the line. So they get 51 seconds. And as I said last week, my job is to uh, watch the event. There's the other team who's going. His job to do great at the event. And the team that's not going, uh, they feel it's their duty just to see, uh, make sure nobody cheats and to let me know every time something perfectly doesn't happen. So then the flayed men go. They go second. They go pretty well. And they get in 51.25 seconds. I say it's too close to call. There was some shenanigans. Um, Oresco, the same guy who complained about Derrida knocking over the cone, 
He wanted like a 10-second penalty for knocking over the cone. He also knocks over a cone. So I say it's too close to call. We're going to do it again. So we go again. Bear Island goes first. And they get it in 45.87 seconds. They they trimmed s- almost six seconds off their time. I do add a one-second penalty because Joe Derrida, I think he tagged a little too quickly as he was coming out of the prowler. And Amorosi, he was going to finish up one of those last sprints and he tagged Galley a little bit too early before he came out of the sliders. So I tack on one-second penalty, 46.88. Now the flayed men, they go again. Uh, I'm going to skip to the punchline. They lose. They get it. They beat their first time, but they get it in like 50.8 seconds. What is interesting on this second time, and this is actually kind of funny, is that I didn't want anybody to to get laid out on this drill. <laughs> so imagine that you're I'm standing at a starting point. There's somebody 20 yards across from me, and I sprint and tag my partner. So that's that's one risk is that I run into my partner, but you shouldn't do that if you're some sort of an athlete. The other part is at the other end of this 20 yards, there's a toy. So what I said was, until we're ready to do the sliders, keep the sliders off the, to the side because I don't want somebody sprinting and running and killing themselves on the sliders. And uh, the strangest thing I saw all week <laughs> was that we had them off to the side intentionally, as Carpentieri is running back to the start line, he's sprinting <laughs> to the next guy who's about to do sliders. Maresco throws the sliders under Carpentieri's feet, and thank God Carpentieri is flayed afoot and does not kill himself. <laughs> uh, anyway, they made it out alive, but they did lose. All right, so they lose. They have four guys this week. So now Bear Island, each of them gets three points for the win. And as usual, they now have to pick people to go in a head-to-head challenge, and it was a double elimination challenge. So there's only four guys, so that means that all four of them are going to go. It's Carpentieri, Cortese, Moresco, and Weintraub. All great competitors. What is the challenge? The challenge is going to be a quarter moon, not a half moon, a quarter moon high-handle prowler, once it clears, crosses the line, go to the other side of that prowler, do a low-handle prowler. That's it. If your, co- if your prowler goes over the line of the quarter moon, you get deducted a second for every time or every second that you do it. So here we go. They pick Cortese to go against Carpentieri. They pick Weintraub to go against Marechko. Pretty smart moves. One thing, the X factor in all of this is that Carpentieri has the money in the bank belt. So guy, they need to be careful about when they put him in, who they put him against, because at any moment, Carpentieri can use that belt. And he can do things like say, I'm not going, and pick someone from the winning team and make them go. Or he could say, I'm not going against this person, I'm going against that person. So he has a lot of juice here. He hasn't used the belt yet. And let me remind you, two years ago he won the belt and never used it. He won the belt, never used it. That was a big waste. He's waiting for the right moment. But today would have been sick. They throw him into the challenge. Nah, 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 I'm not going. You're going and pick somebody else. Granted, there's a risk to that because then if that person from the Bear Island team wins, not only do they get their three points from the tag team challenge, they get another three points for the head-to-head challenge. So you got to be careful about a move like that. Or he can pick someone on the team who he thinks is a weak link. Ah, this person can't do sliders and takes the easy W and gets that three points rather than take a victory over one of his own tag team partners. Anyway, Cortese goes first, and to my eye, I think he's rocking it. I mean, the guy weighs 150 pounds. It's scorched earth. I think he's rocking it. He finishes in 28.28 seconds. I said repeatedly, 
28.28.28.28. Kind of as a joke. In what universe are you clicking 28.28 seconds? Uh, Yusuke knows my trigger finger. It's not that good. So 28.28. So he goes first. Carpentieri goes second. And he incurs not one, not two, but three penalties. So three separate times he pushes that prowler over the line. And he gets 20.88. I add three seconds on and give him 23.88. For some reason, stuck in my mind, is not that Carpent- uh, that Cortese got 28.28. It's that he got 22.8. So I say Cortese wins based on the penalties. And for about 10 seconds, no one questions it. No one questions it. I'll repeat that again. Cortese actually got 28.28. Uh, Carpentieri finishes in 23.88. I said Cortese wins. Meanwhile, he lost by five seconds. So <laughs> they correct me. I think Yuski comes over as the uh, advanced training lawyer. He's got some waivers signed. Anyway, he corrects me, and he is right. So Cortese, sorry, you get your loss, even though I still it looked to my eyeball that you were doing pretty damn good. But you lose to Corte- uh, Carpentieri. You got your first loss. Don't worry. You got another shot at this thing. And Carpentieri gets his, I think it's his second win of the season. So now Carpentieri gets a win. Cortese gets the loss. We go to round two. Remember, I thought Cortese did good at 28.28. Carpentieri looked really good at his 20.88, but he had a couple penalties, so who knows. First up, Joe Marechko. Joe Marechko is going against Weinchop. Joe Marechko, I think he had an insane amount of points last year. Might have been like a one or a two seed, maybe a three seed. He was a top four definitely last year. He goes and bang! 16.44. I've said the term shot out of the cannon. I don't even know if that's the right term here. Like, maybe he was the cannon. I don't know. 16.44. And what was remarkable about Joe, he's a big guy. Uh, He's a big dude, man. He's not like he he was weighing 150 pounds. But he just gained so much ground on each one of his steps. He blasts this thing. And it might have taken like six steps to get there. And we know that people who take, he who takes the least steps wins. And talking about for every action as an equal and opposite reaction, he's driving his feet into the ground, and he's getting cover in massive ground, so he doesn't take, need to take as many steps. And this is a guy, I'd say, of anybody in advanced training who's been running the most, been sprinting the most. We, you know, he's been a guy who's been really made sprinting a huge part of his training, and damn, it's paying off. 16.66. So now... He gets that time, best time of the day. He's going to go head-to-head with Future. Weintraub, this guy, challenge champ last year. Invincible. I'm like, here we go. Like, Weintraub, what do you got, man? Like, this this guy just set the bar pretty damn high. And Weintraub goes, bang! He looks like he shot out of a cannon. Except, 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 he does not cross the line with the Prowler. So his time was almost identical to Joe's time on the first half of the the quarter moon. I, I, I got to remember the time. It was probably like seven seconds, something around right there. I remember it being like, wow, this is going to be close. Except he doesn't get across the line. When he doesn't get it across the line, he's got to stop, pull the thing backwards, and that's it. It's over, Johnny. Like it, All the energy's lost. The momentum's lost. And then he finishes, and I think it's like 20.44, something around there. So he loses by four seconds. Uh, I'm sure it took a second or two to get that thing back, but the momentum was lost. And the guy is not wearing cleats. He's wearing sneakers, and it's almost impossible to do that on a low handle of a prowler. So, future. 
uh, get some cleats, bro. I'm telling you guys, days in at least a day in advance to wear cleats when the prowl is coming out. Get cleats. Even I, Mr. Why Toe Box Shoe Guy, I wore cleats today because I thought we were going to be doing low handle of the prowler. And I did not want to destroy my feet like I did the last time I did this without cleats on back in the proverbial day on the low handle. So, having said that, Moretzko gets a win. Weintraub gets his first loss. Moretzko is still undefeated. Uh, so, this is this is good. At this point, I think we're in week seven of the season. And there's only one person that's been eliminated. Sorry, Carol, from the head-to-head competitions. This is good. There's a lot of, there's a lot of healthy healthy competition. There's a lot of dudes in this program. I'll also make a, a small note here, a subtle note. There's Sean Mulligan. There's not a lot of times he comes to training and either he loses or his team loses. There's not a lot. You go through the record books. He's very uh, similar to this uh, slippery galley where when they come, they win. When they come, they win. All right, people. That is what happened this week. Hopefully, if you got free time, Watch the boat challenge from the Physical 100. If you watch it, watch it again and see what you think about my assessment. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot, a.k.a. like you're not wearing any shoes, a.k.a. like you are wearing Zero Shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of Zero Shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So, you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with Zero Shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com. Slash go slash Mahoney AT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X E R O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X E R O. Get your zero shoes today.